und herzlich willkommen bei Multilingual Stories. Mein Name ist Dr. Bettina Gruber und ich bin die Linguistin. Ich unterstütze voller Begeisterung mehrsprachige Familien mit Herz und Verstand auf ihrem individuellen Weg, damit ihre Kinder alle Familiensprachen erfolgreich und mit Leichtigkeit lernen können. In meinem Podcast bekommst du sehr persönliche Geschichten von Mehrsprachigkeit aus der ganzen Welt zu hören. Lehn dich zurück und lass dich inspirieren. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Multilingual Stories. Today's guest is English speaking once again. Her name is Chitra Natarajan and I'm super excited to have her. Hi Chitra, so nice for you to be here. Hi Bettina, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here as well. You know, I still remember the very first time we met. It was on a bus to Cologne to a Christmas market. Exactly. From Utrecht yes. to Cologne. <laughs> and I was sitting there by myself somewhere in the back of the bus. I barely knew anyone. And you just beamed with, at me with your big smile and you waved me over. Come sit with me, come sit with me. <laughs> I remember that as well. You know, I saw you sitting at the back and I was like, I was sitting all by myself. So I turned around and said, I waved up to you and said, just come and sit next to me. We can be together in the bus when we go to Cologne. That was the Christmas market one, you know. Um, and that experience, and I think, um, I don't know if you remember this experience, and I think I sort of mentioned it as well. There was a bit of a, a very difficult situation that I faced in the Cologne market. There was one man who was very racist towards me. It was you and it was Katie, uh, our other friend, an American friend from the IWCU. The both of you confronted him and backed me um, You know, on that particular day. I would never forget what happened on that particular day. And um, you and I became very good friends since then. <laughs> so um, but to give a little context, we met in the Netherlands, in Utrecht. Yes. Um, in the IWCU, which is the International Women's Club of Utrecht. Mm -hmm. um, right. And you live, you still live in the Netherlands. So yes, tell I us a little bit about yourself. Yes, sure. So I'm originally from India. So Anand and I, both my husband and I, you know, we are from India and we sort of did the move because of his work. So initially I was a trailing spouse. So we moved to Ghana, we moved to Nigeria and then we moved to the US and from there we moved to the Netherlands. First we moved to Utrecht um, and then now we live in Hilversum, but we've lived in the Netherlands for the last, no, what, 14 years now in, wow. in December. Uh, again, in the beginning, we said we we're going to be here only for a year or two because we were still exploring. And um, I wanted to be in the US because my brother had just moved to the US and I wanted to be close to my family. I have a lot of family and friends there. Um, but then when Anand wanted to move to the Netherlands, I was really upset. I was like, why are you making me to move to another country with a new language that I need to learn? But I love living here. And I think IWCU also gave me my closest set of friends, including you, in a way where I sort of found my feet to be part of a place where I was not reinventing the wheel because people had already done that. Um, and I felt so much more nice and comfortable. I think Netherlands sort of grows on you over a period of time. We felt so comfortable that we decided to stay back. Um, so when we moved, um, you know, we had a 16-month-old. Now she's 15 years old. So you can see the, yeah. you know, we've sort of decided to live here and be here so that really is our story 
that he was born in the US. I didn't even know that. So, so there was a period. What happened was between Nigeria, Ghana, and going to the US. Um, I we wanted to start a family, but the hospital facilities in in Lagos, when we were living there at that point in time, um, was um, was not really something that I was very comfortable with. Um, I mean, I have to say how privileged you know, uh, we are when we live here and we were able to make the choice of going to India and, you know, starting a family. So it was just that short period of time when we went there, you know, we fell pregnant and we decided to have Dwani there. And when we were pregnant, Anand was supposed to go to the US and we were supposed to move to the US. And I didn't want to do that being fully pregnant and, you know, Mm. not having the support that I would get from my family. So Anand decided to postpone his assignment so we had Dwani and then Anand moved and then I followed him. Oh, so I it was that period where, you know, we had the option of moving to the US straight away, but then I was, you know, being pregnant and, you know, with the hormones and everything, I really yes. just <laughs> of, you know, leaving everything because I'd already moved from Africa. You know, we'd already mm. done the intercontinental move from going from Africa to India. And I really didn't want to move from India to the US being pregnant. So yes. I gave birth to Dwani and then moved when she was three months old. So we were there only for a year and then we moved here. Okay. So yeah. all three of you have an Indian passport. Oh, there comes the question. Yeah. So we, uh, <laughs> we've now become Dutch, you know, because we've lived you here. Have. So, yeah, we have. We have. Um, you know, we. Um, it was a most pragmatic decision that we had to take because sometimes with the Indian passport, it becomes a, so much more difficult, one, to travel and two, with universities in terms of, you know, university access to universities and also university fees. So we all did the improving exams, you know, when we were, I think, Three years into living here, we all learned the language. <laughs> so Anand and I, we, we we did the exams. But then until I think when we turned, I think seven years or something, only then we applied for our citizenship because we were just thinking, but we don't feel Dutch enough to be able to apply for our citizenship, you know. Um, and we did that. And one of the other things as well was India doesn't um, recognize a dual passport, a dual nationality. So that was another thing. So we really needed to look at what would happen with, you know, um, with the things that we have back back at home, whether it is the house that we own, the land that we own, and how would that all sort of pan up, whether it is okay, not okay. We sort of went back and forth on all of that. And then at some point we decided that's probably the best thing that we can do, um, where the the Indian government also offers something called as the OCI, Overseas Citizen of India. So um, Bettina, I can never become a politician in India and I can never really receive a national, national award but other than that everything that you know okay. um, we are still considered as overseas citizen of India oh, so okay. yeah so that's why we decided that you know we will trade our Indian passport and then get the uh, the Dutch citizenship as well um, but it was a very interesting journey I have to say it was yeah. a huge step um, and we sort of held on to it for a very long time because I kept saying that I'm not so sure <laughs> what I wanted to do, if I wanted to do it. I mean, it was no-brainer when it came to university and what was best for Dwani, uh, for our daughter. But um, we also wanted to be absolutely sure that that was the right thing to do. So, yeah, I think I think we're very happy that we did it. Because now that I see we've lived here for such a long time, yeah. I think that's definitely beneficial. Yeah, It's funny because at the end of the day, it's just a piece of paper. But exactly. it's so much more, right? It, it is. So it's, much it more. is. Yeah, it is very interesting, isn't it? Um, I follow this um, this this traveler on Instagram, and uh, she keeps saying the same thing. I think she's got the Polish British passport, and she's able to actually travel everywhere. And right now, she's actually in Iraq, whereas a person from Iraq with an Iraqi passport will not be able to travel anywhere. 
you know so it makes a big difference um you know it's yeah it's the passport privilege that you have you know <laughs> to be able to actually do that and we had to be very pragmatic about it as much mm-hmm. as we felt like you know should be or should we not um it, it is end of the day a piece of paper but it makes yeah. a big difference to um you know to where you live and what you want and, and all of that i think um so india is a huge country where are you from <laughs> Right. So we're from the south um in one of the states called Tamil Nadu so we speak Tamil at home. Um again, you know, Tamil is one of those old classical languages. So I grew up speaking Tamil at home and Anand grew up speaking Tamil at home, but it's very interesting because where he grew up and where I grew up, the way we speak Tamil is completely different. Really? Um even with the way we speak now I think we've sort of neutralized it, you know, over a period of time because we've been living with each other for a long time now. Yeah. But where I come from, the city that I grew up in, um, that city where we speak Tamil with less respect, I feel, you know, where people even, with, yeah, the way we speak, sometimes I just feel like it's a bit rude. It can be a bit more nicer and posher. Whereas um, where Anand comes from, they always speak with so much respect. It's so beautiful to hear the language when he speaks to a small child, to an older person, where there's so much of you know love and affection when they actually speak with so much of respect and i think that's missing from where i come from and i also have to tell you and i also have to tell you you know uh, when we when i speak tamil um there is a bit of influence of the community that i come from unfortunately if you look at how india the dichotomy of india with the religion and the communities and the caste that we belong to um there's a lot of influence on that so if i open my mouth and speak tamil people will be able to if you're from tamil nadu they'll be able to you know find out which caste i belong to which i don't want as an identity but i've really struggled to remove and erase that part of it because it is also privilege um you know so i i see that you know more and more there's more awareness and then we see um that you know it's also your identity right where you come from how you speak where you present yourself um and then people sort of plot back to the community or the caste that you belong um it's very interesting i have to tell you so people in tamil nadu um what they decided there was this movement called the dravidian movement so i am married into a family who truly believes in the dravidian movement where they wanted to keep it as neutral as possible they wanted to remove the caste the difference in the caste because of the way it's a societal construct that was actually put in place where there were reservations that were put in place to a point where if you belong to a certain caste you had more privilege right so i come from a privileged caste where um i was you know everything sort of was given to me on a platter that was the truth right um and that i completely recognize and i completely understand um so there was this whole dravidian movement that was you know followed by um you know this this man called ibera periyar um and he was the one who basically said that you know you need to break the caste there should not be any boundaries and so there was a revolution that happened in the 50s and the 60s where every single one of us betina would have a surname which denoted our caste so i would be sort of called as you know chitra natrajan so natrajan is actually my dad's first name whereas we never had the family name we usually would take it's again patriarchy so we would usually take the dad's first name and then we would usually have the surname as a caste name you know so you know my dad was called as natrajan iyer iyer meant that you come from the most um, elitist 
you know, Brahmin caste. So people knew who you are. So it was very understandable that, you know, you would get a certain privilege. And or if you have a certain caste that has been attached to, so they know that you're from that caste. So they don't have to actually treat you really well. So with the revolution that happened in the 50s and 60s, because of Periyar, we were all asked to drop the caste name as a surname. Okay, only in Tamil Nadu. If you speak to any of the other, you know, Indians from other parts of uh, India, they still have the caste name. Whereas only in Tamil Nadu, we were all asked to drop the, you know, caste name. And again, I'm not saying that it's changed a lot. There is still caste identity and community identity with the languages that we speak. But that was a revolution that happened. So even the street names from, you know, all the... Uh, the Englishers, the Britishers' names were dropped to a lot of, you know, um, a lot of freedom fighters' names were included. All of them had a caste name and all of those caste names were dropped over a period of time. So we all went through that change, you know, and that uh, that sort of um, made it easier for us in a way. So I could have a, a decent start with just Chitra Natarajan as my name and my husband could have a decent start as Anand Kailasam as a name. And, you know, it does make a difference, I think rather than just looking at a caste, because you do go back and look at the history just by saying, mm. you know, just by looking at your name. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's amazing because for a long time, you know, politically speaking, the caste system has been dismissed basically. Yeah. But it's yeah. still there. And- oh, oh my God, it's still there. Mm. Like right now, Bettina, I mean, this is extremely controversial, but, you know, even if you look at, um, I don't know if you're following with following the politics in India a little bit with uh, the prime minister that we have right now. He's a pro-Hindu, you know, um, he's a right winger, unfortunately, you know, um, as much as I'm a Hindu, I grew up in India where we all lived together harmoniously. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to a Muslim school. It really didn't matter whether it, I went to a Muslim school. I went to a Christian institution to do my master's. I went to a Hindu university to do my undergraduate program. It really didn't matter. We all sort of coexisted very, very peacefully. And now we have a prime minister who's a right winger, who who's so pro-Hindu and he's so anti-Muslim. This that's not the India that I grew up in, you know. So those are the, but we are seeing that sort of change that's happening, unfortunately. And uh, and uh, you know, unfortunately, even amongst my Indian friends, I would probably do, you know, we are probably the only ones who are against what's happening in India. It's a, it's a bit funny, you know, to have these conversations. People who are against Trump in the US are pro Modi. I don't get it. <laughs> it's like it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, you're pro racism and then, you know, you're uh, yeah, and then you're also saying that uh, yeah, you're anti racism and then you're also saying that you know, you're you're pro religion. I don't understand, you know, but that's not the the preamble of the constitution of India at all. You know, secularism is what we grew up with, but unfortunately we also have a leader who's shoving uh, religion under our throat. So that's happening as well, but it is there. It's there. It's very much there. As much as I say that, you know, in Tamil Nadu, there was a revolution that happened and we all dropped the caste name. It's definitely there. And I also sort of, I also have to say this because we're talking about me right now. When Anand and I met, I come from a Brahmin community and he's not. So I was also worried about, you know, we met and we fell in love. And I was worried about how my parents would react to, you know, when I said that I'm not going to marry somebody from the same community because usually they would find the groom. I found him myself. Um, 
But it was my dad, uh, my parents are extremely open. My mom was a little upset in the beginning, I have to say, because it was more about how could you betray me <laughs> than anything else, right? Um, and then they came around quite quickly. And my dad was the one who basically said, this is your life. This is what it is. If you'd like to marry him, we are going to go ahead and do this. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, we, we've been married for almost 20 years now. So 20 years ago, to be able to have that conversation. And but that, that was still 2000. That's like, yeah, 2000. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, 2000, yeah, 2002. When we got not married. like, it's not like the nine, 1900s. No, no, <laughs> but even then. Yeah, even then. Now things are changing, you know, a lot more easier. People are able to have conversation, but only in urbanized cities. If you look at the rural areas, it's still very prevalent. It's still very prevalent about, you know, which caste you belong to, which community you belong to. Some of the communities don't talk to each other. There are these honor killings that happen. It's it's really, really, really there. It's very, very there. Maybe a little uh, provocative thought, but sure. isn't it also? I mean, you speak from a very privileged position, obviously. Absolutely. But Absolutely. being able to live abroad, yes, you can actually free yourself from this. I'm telling you, that's exactly what it is, Bettina. See, again, Anand's family, again, um, he's the only one, you know, he doesn't have siblings. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a younger brother, but both me and my younger brother, we decided to leave. Our parents, our respective parents never really asked us to stay put. If we had married in the same, you know, communities, maybe we would have. I don't know. Maybe we would have left as well. There are a lot of people who've left. They, for example, my brother is married to someone from the same community, whereas they met and they fell in love. It was not an arranged marriage, uh, but they still live abroad. But leaving India sort of freed us as well. And um, in a way to raise Dwani without any of these identity baggages, you know, it it was a conscious decision, I have to say, um, because I really didn't want Dwani to have this thing of, oh, you're half Brahmin and half not. Um, and it was the same thing for Anand, that that pressure of how are you going to raise your child? Are you going to raise your child with your community, you know, <laughs> you know, values are yours. End of the day, our values are the same. Just yeah, exactly. that our eating habits, perhaps the way we do certain rituals are different. End of the day, we are all, you know, we're all the same human race, you know. So um, it definitely freed us in terms of, you know, not having to think or worry about any of that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little about your family. So um, sure. how do you actually, so how do you live your languages and your traditions now that you're living in the Netherlands and you have a teenage daughter? What yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. So like I said, we speak Tamar at home and I try and follow, um, we are not very religious. I grew up in a religious household, but Anand didn't grow up in a religious household at all. Um, and again, so I've sort of adapted whatever I feel comfortable with, within, you know, with what my parents did. Um, to a point where I wanted to sort of share what I really like as festivals that I grew up with for Dwani so that she has a bit of identity of that. Um, but at the same time, not follow too much of religion into it. You know, I sort of believe that I believe that there is a su supreme power, there's faith. Um, but at the same time, I'm not going to be doing a lot of rituals and saying the prayers every single day. That's not me. So I sort of wanted to find that balance. And Anand was an atheist when he actually met me. Um, now he's become agnostic. He's very neutral. He's like, you want to do it? You go ahead and do whatever you want. From so, atheist to agnostic. Agnostic. <laughs> So, and again, so that's why, you know, we found a perfect balance. So he's, um, and also because I didn't believe in any of those religious rituals that my mother followed very, very traditionally. Um, 
that also, and again, not living in India also gave me this space mm-hmm. to adapt to what I wanted and what I wanted to share with Wani. So there are a series of rituals that we do, um, you know, during the, the festival season, right? From, you know, celebrating Diwali to there's another celebration called Kartike Deepam that we do where we light lamps, you know, around the house. So those are things that I've sort of, you know, introduced Dwani to. Um, uh, and also that we celebrate a harvest festival called Pungal in, 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 in the month of January. So I've sort of introduced that to her. And again, end of the day, the festivals are about dressing up, um, you know, cooking delicious food, and then you know praying for the goodness of everybody and eating that's about it it's yeah. about gathering right like the same so everywhere right exactly exactly <laughs> as much as it's very religious it's not it's all about you know having eating good food and being together and making mm. merry with family and friends um so that's something that i've sort of done but i've sort of you know it's a complete washed down version of how i grew up in india mm. um simply because it's too much and then i also understand a lot of um rituals that my mother did also it was also very patriarchal you know it was also about oh taking care of the husband taking care of the family taking care of this i'm not that person i grew up as a feminist my dad raised me as a feminist so i'm not going to do that so i sort of adapted to the ones that i really feel comfortable doing so that dwani has some things that she can actually follow and identify herself with saying that these are things that we did as as a family at home mm-hmm. and for her home is the Netherlands, you know, home is Hilversum, not anywhere else. So that's something that we've done. So, but you all still speak Tamil at home. Yes, we do. We do. We we speak Tamil at home, but I have to say, Bettina, it's very anglicized. I think we were not this anglicized, um, you know, uh, even growing up in India. And I think there's a lot of influence, you know, of, uh, of English because we went to an English medium school. And again, going to an English medium school is a privilege. Mm-hmm. So both Anand and I, you know, as much as possible, we were all sent to English medium schools. We were taught, you know, our mother tongue as, as a second language. I learned Hindi as a third language. I was also sent to, um, you know, a Vedic school to learn about Sanskrit so that we could read the Bhagavad Gita and the, you know, the hymns and all of that. Um, but yeah, so English is definitely part of our system. You know, it doesn't leave um, we can't wake up one morning and say I'm not going to be doing this. And I think I don't know if you I don't know if you know the history of you know what happened with the with the independence as well. Once we had the independence from the Britishers in the 1947, and the Indian government with Jawaharlal Nehru and Sardar Vallabhai Patel and Mahatma Gandhi for the next 10 years they said that you know um, we would still have English as part of our system as the you know as part of the government organization, but at some point we will introduce a common language. India, we can't have a common language as much as you think that, you know, a lot of majority of the Indians speak Hindi. I don't speak Hindi at all. You know, my Hindi is bad because it was my third language. Um, You know, only seven states in India speaks Hindi. And then what happened was they were trying to do this. And there was a lot of push to all the states from the central government in New Delhi saying that we all have to adapt to Hindi. And the Tamilians in Tamil Nadu, the Dravidians, the same Dravidian movement, they went on to what we call as the anti-Hindi agitation movement, saying that don't, you know, again, shove Hindi in, you know, down our throat because that's not our language. Mm-hmm. And they fought. And then they, um, so Tamil Nadu is the only state in, in India where if you go and try and speak in Hindi, people will just frown at you because nobody speaks Hindi very fluently. Yeah, no. <laughs> As much as we all learned it as third language, we are like, why are you speaking to me in Hindi? Like, that's not my language. Whereas if you go to say Kerala, my, you know, the neighboring state, everybody speaks Hindi. <laughs> Whereas 
We didn't. You know, to this day, English is still a lingua franca. In yeah, the, definitely yeah, a lingua franca. If, with yeah. English, you can manage anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but of course, if you're going to the rural part, it, it is still a struggle. You still have to know a few, you know, words in the local language that you're trying to speak. But um, with the, as lingua franca, you can actually get by with English. Yeah. You know what? I just remembered completely different. But you were talking about the festivals that you celebrate at home. Yeah. Do you know what I just remembered? You gave yeah. a little oil lamp when I left the Netherlands. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You still have it. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. So what we usually do is to, you know, add oil and add a cotton wick and, and we light the lamps. That's exactly how we do it because yeah. we never had candles in India then. It was only oil and cotton wick. Yeah. yeah I still have it. Oh, I'm so pleased that you still have it, Bettina. <laughs> um, so before we started this uh, podcast, you know, we had a little chat and you said something that, you you know, it really has to be part of this story. So you sure. said, to me, you know, if I had just one wish, what would you wish for? I wish I could speak all the languages around the world. I mean, if I would be able to speak to somebody in Marathi, in, in, in Assamese, uh, you know, in, in French, very fluently, I learned French in school for two years and it didn't stick, you know, in Spanish to, you know, speaking in, uh, in, uh, you know, in Hausa, say, for example, because in Nigeria, I saw, you know, three different tribes and speaking three different languages, you know, um, and, you know, Swahili, because, you know, we've traveled extensively in Africa, you know, how wonderful that would be that, you know, you know, me as a human race to be able to speak to somebody and understand what the other person is saying and not just bank on, you know, sort of figuring it out, but to be able to have a conversation, to understand who they are, where they come from, what is their history and the cultural nuances of everything. I mean, if there was one wish that I, <laughs> that I have, that would be that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a super robotic multilingual person. I mean, I can have a conversation with everybody around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally relate to that wish. Yeah. Um, so um, did you feel that your Tamil changed or has changed over the past? You've been away from India for a long time now. Yes. yes. How did yeah. that affect your, your Tamil? My Tamil has not changed at all. Mm-hmm. You know, that has not changed at all because I learned Tamil as a second language until university. I even learned classical Tamil. You know, it was very, 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 very hard, but I learned the classical Tamil as well. So that has not left. What I would really like is for me to have a neutral Tamil so that people don't identify my caste. And that is something that's not changed. You know, as much as I live with Anand, as much as I really try, I open my mouth and people know that where I come from, you know, so that is definitely there. So that's not changed at all. My Tamar is stayed put. It has not left me. But I also have to say, I do uh, struggle when I when I have to speak in Tamar extensively. And I do start introducing English words. You know, I've forgotten some of these words. Um, you know, I think they call it as Talzheimer's. <laughs> You know, so like Alzheimer's, suddenly you're like, what are you supposed to say here? But it's also very interesting because, Bettina, there are a lot of Sri Lankan Tamilians who live in the Netherlands. And I think they are everywhere because, you know, because of the, the Tamil diaspora from Sri Lanka, which was displaced because of the huge civil, um, you know, civil war that happened. And I have a lovely lady in a store here called Anamalayan Sons in Hilversum, in the center of Hilversum, where I pick up all my groceries from her. She and I speak Tamil, but her Tamil is more pure Tamar than I do. 
it's so interesting you know they still use some of these old words for saying say coffee or tea or say telephone or mobile phone um that's not the way we speak anymore in tamil nadu in india whereas the sri lankan community the sri lankan tamilian community they still use those very pure tamil words and i find it very fascinating but we still are perfectly fine have conversations we talk about their you know her family my family how they are doing in sri lanka and how we are doing in tamil nadu um but yeah those changes are definitely there you know so what kind of tamil does your daughter speak i think it's more like you know our tamil <laughs> where it's very anglicized she would want to start saying in tamil so she starts something in tamil and then it will all switch to english quite quickly mm-hmm. whereas she can sing tamil songs and she's watching tamil movies which are with us she understands you know what's going on the cultural nuances some of it is a bit harder because she didn't grow up in india so some, so she would try and understand so but why is this happening or why is that happening or what is going on with the cultural content of it um but yeah it's more anglicized our last question I, i in the beginning i used to ask it every time now i just ask it when i feel like you know it's time sure. to ask that last question so your daughter is growing up with english with dutch um with tamil um and i think spanish. she's learning spanish at school but yeah. she's not really growing up with it she's learning it now as yeah she's learning it learning it as now but she's language. really yeah. been growing up with those three languages yeah um what kind of benefits in a more global sense do you think your daughter has um for her future also i mean one is to have the identity of you know who she is and where she comes from that's important plus the benefit of you know having to know another language i mean we've all benefited from english um the way if you look at you know um uh, like yesterday twitter ceo is now another indian you know who grew up like me in india mm-hmm. um so english has been of great benefit for us you know as much as it, you know we were all colonized we have the 400 years of history and english has definitely helped us so definitely with english and dutch and also living in a european country and for dwani to have the benefit of learning english and spanish and also having the background of where she comes from having another asian um language one of the old classical language mm-hmm. that's going to definitely benefit her in understanding cultural nuances to be able to work with other people Yeah. to be able to have another perspective i think that is definitely the benefit of having a language and that's definitely what has helped me because when i moved to ghana and when i moved to nigeria for the first time that was my first time out of india it was completely out of my comfort zone of you know what i knew and as a child growing up in in madras in in tamil nadu one of the cities in tamil nadu i never really moved i grew up in tamil nadu because my dad had a job there and i never really moved out of india until that point whereas with anand and you know his dad was a, a scientist he was a scientist in sugarcane research institute so he actually grew up in different parts of you know india so he was exposed to more languages so he can actually speak and read and write multiple languages more than i did and he also went to a school that was run by the central government so his hindi is way better than the hindi that i learned in you know in the in the city that i grew up in so i think the benefit of having more languages is definitely going to make you a lot more flexible a lot more you know open minded to having another different perspective and to be able to communicate and have that emotional connection with the person that you're working with and that's definitely what um you know we're talking about um you know living in in the world where we need more empathy and that will happen only when you have in no more languages to yeah. have a different perspective beautiful that's beautiful 
Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your story. Not at all. Thank you, Bettina. I'm so glad we connected again. Oh, and I you know, had the opportunity to be able to have a conversation about where I come from and what we've done. Yeah. Um, you know, this is just, yeah, so beautiful. Thank you. As a last note, sure. you should tell everybody what you're doing because you're doing such amazing work and we didn't even get to mention it. What are you doing? Um, so, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a birth educator. I'm a hypnobirthing practitioner. Um, I have a, a background in corporate human resources for about 10 years, but it was only the move to the Netherlands and then, you know, looking at how mothers were giving birth at home and people using the, you know, the local midwives, the local neighborhood midwives. And that sort of opened my eyes to how births were still happening as to how it was happening in India, say, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation with my grandmother when I decided to actually branch off and do this and I asked her about her birthing experience and she said she gave birth to my mother at home with the midwife whereas when my mother gave birth to me in the same village um, you know almost 42 years ago she had to go to a gynecologist how that shift you know that had happened from having midwives to moving to gynecologist and how medicalized things have become in India to how it is still here the Dutch maternity care with the long-standing tradition of going to your local midwife for, for, for about 450-500 years that's still been preserved that opened my eyes into you know working with pregnant mothers um I saw that there was a need for, you know, for the expat community specifically or for, you know, somebody who is an expat who's married to or, you know, having a, a partnership with, um, you know, um, with the local Dutch person. Then, you know, the cultural nuances were coming into place where the system is completely different. And um, so, yeah, I, I trained uh, with the Lamas International Institute in, um, you know, in, in the US. And I also trained with the Hypnobirthing Institute. And I've been teaching pregnancy courses and working with pregnant mothers for the last 11 years. Um, yeah, it's been a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> experience. Yes, absolutely. We're definitely going to share your uh, contact information in the show notes and your Instagram profile and share amazing uh, stories uh, from families there. I love it. I love following it. Again, thank you so much, Chitra, for your time and your story. Thank you, Bettina. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for connecting with you. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you.